Well, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago uh, to be exact, we celebrated our 15th birthday here at Journey Church. Uh, it was 15 years ago, March 25th. To, yeah, that's awesome. March 25th, 2007, that we had our grand opening. And so what we've been doing over the last couple weeks is just reminding ourselves of why we exist as a church. And I say why we exist as a church because the church isn't a building. You all know that. The church is us. The church is the collection of Jesus followings, this gathering, this assembly of Jesus followers. And so what is our purpose? What is our mission? And, and we, didn't, you know, we didn't just like, you know, lift our finger and stick it up in the air to try to figure out like what our purpose should be. We, we looked at the purpose of Jesus and what was Jesus' purpose, and this should be our purpose. And so two weeks ago, we talked about that with God's help, we believe that this church is strategically positioned to change lives. That first and foremost, we want to see people's lives dramatically altered. We want to see people that the, that the trajectory of their lives is moving toward Christ. And so we talked about that. And basically what I talked about, just to, to remind you, if, or maybe you weren't here, is first of all, this requires humility of saying, God, change me. Like, we don't come at this from a place of hubris, from a place of, of pride. We don't go, oh, you guys all need to change. It starts with saying, God, change me. Shine the searchlight of your Holy Spirit into my heart. Show me the parts of my life where I'm not in alignment with your word. God, I invite you, please, change me. Speak to me. Give me ears to hear your voice. Give me the courage to obey what you are asking of me. God, start with me, change me. And then the second thing that we talked about is with whatever God has entrusted you, whatever amount God has poured into your cup, just go ahead and pour that into the lives of other people around you. You say, I don't, I don't know much about the Bible. I don't have much of the Bible memorized. I don't know much about doctrine or theology. That's all right. With whatever God has given to you, just pour that into the lives of other people around you. Maybe you've only been following Jesus for a couple weeks, but you have a testimony of what God has done in your life. Start telling people about that testimony. Start sharing that story. Just take what God has entrusted to you and pour that into the lives of other people. And I'm telling you, it will result in change. It will result in transformation. You will be changed and you will be transformed for it, right? So with God's help, we exist as a church to change lives. Secondly, and, and Pastor El Yano talked about this last week, we exist to empower people. I believe that every follower of Jesus, and I don't just believe this, the Bible says this, that every follower of Jesus, the moment that you humbled yourself and said, Jesus, I can't do this. I am nothing, I have nothing, I'm broken, I'm helpless, I'm powerless, I am sin-stained and sin-covered. I need you, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, be the master and leader of my life, that at that moment, you received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son comes and takes up residency inside of you. And now the mission for you, the whole rest of your life, is learning to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The mission is every morning waking up and saying, good morning, Holy Spirit. I welcome you. Lead me today. Help me to hear you. Help me to have eyes to see what you are up to. Holy Spirit, I want to be empowered by you. Imagine what it would look like to have a church, a community of Jesus followers that are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about that woo-woo stuff. You know, maybe you've been to churches where when they talk about being empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's about running around rooms and like dancing off of chandeliers and stuff. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to make us weird. The Holy Spirit comes to make us powerful. 
to make us bold, to cause us to be witnesses, to advance his kingdom, to move us into action. That's why we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so what we believe as a church is we don't believe in, in people just being consumers. We don't believe in, in just, you know, that, that Christianity is just an hour and 15 minutes every week listening to a guy spit. We believe that we are all part of the church, that we are all advancing the kingdom of God, and that God is empowering us to serve. And we're going to talk more about that serving aspect today. So Journey Church, with God's help, exists to change lives, to empower people, and third, and we're going to talk about this today, to serve communities to serve communities, to change lives, to empower people, to serve communities. Would you say those three two-word statements with me? To change lives, to empower people, and to serve communities. Okay, now that you know what you're supposed to be saying, let's all say it together, okay? Say it loudly, say it boldly. With God's help, we're gonna change lives, we're gonna empower people, we're gonna serve communities. It's real simple. We had to make it simple because otherwise I wouldn't remember it. <laughs> I thought that was funny. You don't have to think it's funny. So serve communities. Like what, what is, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago. I knew that we were going to be going in this direction. And I, I'm one of these people who I grew up in the church. I mean, I, I, my parents uh, were, my dad was a board member of the church I grew up in. And often he was the last person, even after the pastors and the pastor's families had left, my dad would be one of the last people. He was the guy who, if the furnace went out, the pastor would call my dad and my dad would go and, you know, fix the furnace. It might, I felt like we were always at the church growing up, even, even though he worked at GM, you know, that was, that was just, or Delphi or, they went through like 20 names, didn't they, back in the day, you know, in Sandusky. You know what I'm talking about? You guys are, are is everyone awake? Turn to the person next to you and say, wake up. All right, okay. Everybody, with, you can talk back. You can smile. That even helps too. Like from time to time during the sermon, just even, even if you don't even get what I'm saying, just, just smile. It can be a fake smile and it'll help me, all right? Because I'm preaching better than you guys are letting on. All right, so, so, so I, I grew up in the church and so I grew up just hearing this kind of stuff. And I think because of that, and this isn't a snarky thing, this isn't a sarcastic thing, but I find that I have to back up and zoom out every once in a while and ask the question, like, why? Sometimes I ask the question, so what? You know, because sometimes we hear these concepts, and, and if we're not careful, it, it, we just get an autopilot, and we just start going through the motions. Anybody else with me? Am I the only one? Okay, so, so when it comes to, you know, we got these statements, changing lives, empowering people, serving communities, and you know what, just, why, why, why do we gotta serve? Because I'll just be the first to admit, hi, my name is Ken, and I hate to serve. Because I'm selfish, and I'm greedy, and, I, and I'm lazy. And so why, 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 is the, why is the purpose of the church, I mean, one of the pillars of the church, all about serving communities? And I, I honestly kind of had this conversation with God. I'm like, I got to be crystal clear about this, because if I'm not crystal clear about this, and I'm talking to a whole group of people about this, they're really not going to have a clue of what's going on. And here's what I felt like God told me, and this is, this is a thread that runs throughout the Bible, is that God's cry is for his followers to notice others. I mean, you see it throughout scripture, to notice others, to notice others who are orphaned, to notice others who are widowed, to notice others in nursing homes, to notice others without homes, to notice others who are without fathers, 
to notice others that are living dysfunctional, addicted lives, to notice others who are struggling in the classrooms, to notice others who are in a loveless marriage, to notice others across the street, and to notice others around the world. Like when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was never hurried. He was never in a rush. Other people tried to hurry him, but he was never in a rush, and he was never too busy to notice the people around him who needed him. And because, when you think about our Father God, because of our Father's love for the other, and others all over the world, what does he do? John three sixteen says he sent his one and only son, his only begotten son, and what does the son do? The son, the son of God comes to this earth and takes the form of a man and lives on this earth and teaches and performs miracles and heals people and ultimately he voluntarily lays down his life and takes upon himself our punishment and our sin. He takes all of that upon himself and he's brutally and horrifically crucified on a cross with all of that on him. And on the third day he busts through the wall of death Proving his authority, proving his power. And the Bible says that, if, that whosoever, anybody, doesn't matter your economic status, it doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter what language you speak, doesn't matter uh, how much money you make, doesn't matter how educated you are, whosoever believes in him, puts their trust in him, decides to totally go in with God and depend upon him, whoever believes in him won't spend forever separated from him perishing but we'll experience everlasting eternal life. This is the heartbeat of God. The heartbeat of God is for the other. He cares so much about the other that he sends his son. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. And probably most of us in this room have experienced that grace, and we're so grateful for that grace. We're so grateful for salvation. But it's not just for us. It's not just for us. I want to I read a couple lines from Jude. Hey, Jude. Jude, some of you didn't even know that this is a book in the Bible. It's honestly, it's, it's more of a pamphlet than it is a book. Jude is only like 25 verses long. Some of you, if you can't find it, it is the second to last book of the Bible. So if you go to Revelation in the very back and then just very carefully move just like a couple pages to the left, you will find Jude. And, and we're just going to read a couple lines from this. While you're looking this up for yourself, we're going to be in Jude verse 22 because it's just one chapter. So I don't even have to say chapter one. I'll just say verse 22. While you're turning to Jude 22, here's the distinctive about Jude that you might want to know. Jude was Jesus' half-brother. And I always think this is fascinating to think that Jesus' brothers didn't follow him during the time that he was going around for three years teaching people. It wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that they became believers. But I always, I always ask this question, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? <laughs> right? Like I say, nothing. There's nothing they could do. I think this is one of the most convincing proofs to the fact of Jesus actually being the Son of God. Not only did Jude become a believer, but James, who was also uh, Jude's brother, James became a believer as well, and James became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. But Jude writes this, and this, this is something that, that has just been resonating with me, and I, I hope that it will make sense to you. Uh, we're going to read verses 22 and 23, and then keep your finger there, because later on I'm going to come back and we're going to read a couple other verses from, from this passage as well. 
Jude 22 says, and you must show mercy. You must, you, follower of Jesus, you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now, now we're going to unpack all this, including that last passage, just a little, you know, that passage about caution. We're, we're going to get to all that in just a moment. But I want to I start out in verse 22. We see that these lines are written to followers of Jesus. People who have received the salvation of God. They've received God's grace. People like you and me. But if you read these words, you'll see that every single one of these words are extremely action-oriented. Rescue and save others. Go after and snatch them. Pull them out of the fire. Show mercy and tenderness. I think as, as, as you read these, if you listen... You'll hear the voice of your heavenly father saying, I love you, and I care about you, and I will move heaven and earth for you, but I don't just see you. I see beyond you as well. You belong to me, and you're precious to me, but they're precious to me as well. And here's the longing of God. The heart of God is saying, would you join me? You're so valuable to me. I love you so much. Would you join me in my mission of taking this love and this grace and this mercy to the others around you? It's the most exciting thing that you could be a part of. In fact, it will take Christianity from being just this boring, listless, like have-to, religious obligation to becoming an adventure full of exhilaration when you say yes to this mission when you say God today I don't want to live just for myself I want to live for the other God give me eyes to see what you are doing around you that we have the opportunity to share in the father's joy of seeing others find hope and healing in Jesus I mean, this is what Jesus was all about, wasn't it? In fact, Jesus was constantly getting in trouble because he really believed this and he really lived this, right? I mean, the religious leaders, they, they would come against Jesus and, and they'd come because they, they, didn't, they wouldn't come to Jesus himself for the most part because they were really afraid of him, I think. But they would come to Jesus' followers and they would come to the disciples and they'd say, listen, why is Jesus constantly hanging out with such knuckleheads? I mean, do you see who, he's constantly hanging out with, with notorious sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. Like, I thought he was supposed to be a rabbi. I thought he was supposed to be a holy man, a religious guy. Like, why does he spend so much time with them? And one day, Jesus knows that this is going on. He, 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 knew, he knew the whole deal, trust me. There wasn't anything that caught Jesus off guard. Jesus knows that this is going on. He says, hey, what are you guys talking about? <gasps> We're not talking about nothing. He goes, listen, here's the deal. I've come for those who are sick. You guys, you guys think you're well? You guys think that you're good to go? I'm not talking to you. This is Jesus talking to the religious leaders. You guys think you got it all straightened out? You could, go ahead, eat your cupcakes. I've come for the sick. I've not, I haven't come to be served. I've come to serve. I haven't come to establish a consumeristic religious society. I've come to start a movement 
of rescuing people and snatching people from the flames of judgment. This is G, and so if we're followers of Jesus, this is us, right? And so I just, I, I wrote in my notes, what if we took this seriously? And listen, this isn't like pointed at you. I don't want you to be like, man, he's like really ferocious toward us today. This is all stuff that God's dealing with me about. What if we, you and me, what if we took this seriously as individuals and as a whole church? What if we were really motivated to rescue and save others? Let me ask you this, and this is again to me. What if we really believe that the flames of judgment are real? We live in a time in American Christianity where increasingly people who would call themselves Christian leaders are trying to paint away the idea of eternal punishment. Hell doesn't exist. God, God is love. Yes, God is love. God is holy and God is just. He is all three equally. And in fact, if God wasn't just, he wouldn't really be love. When, 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 we are, when we are the overwhelming power of the earth, we don't like justice. But do you know who loves justice? Underdogs. The oppressed. Like we live in a culture where we go, oh, I don't know what I think about the justice of God. That just proves that we're the ones in power. Getting really quiet in this room. Right? And so American Christianity begins to form God into our own image, into what we like, and the pieces of the Bible that we like, and we think all these other things are outdated, and it's so like 1800s or 1100s to believe in this stuff, when really, if we were the ones being oppressed, if we were the underdogs, the American slaves believed in justice. (laughs) They're crying out for justice. So God is love, yes, you're absolutely right, but he is also just, and he is also holy. And what if we believe that the flames of judgment are real? What if we really believe that everybody will spend forever somewhere? That keeps me up at night. Everybody. Everybody we lay eyes on will spend forever somewhere. Wouldn't we be doing, wouldn't we be willing to do anything to snatch the wavering from the flames? Wouldn't wouldn't we be filled with mercy and tenderness toward the others in our life? And so as, as I've thought about this, this takes, some of you are like, I thought you were talking about serving this morning, and now you went through this whole, like, Jonathan Edwards, like, sinners in the hands of an angry God type of thing. Ken, like, like what is this? this? This brings me back to serving because I don't know any other way to approach this but through serving. Like, especially in the American church. How are we going to rescue people from the flames of hell? By picking up the towel and bending down and stooping and serving others. You say, well, there's gotta be a different approach. You know, the American church has tried a whole lot of different approaches, and some of them used to work. Several decades ago, you could go door to door and knock on the door, and you could present the gospel to someone, and people would get saved, it was effective. But can I tell you, it's not effective anymore, at least here in the United States. There's a thing that half the people out there have called ring. And as soon as they see someone with, with religious paraphernalia, you know, hi, I'm here to tell you about Jesus, they, they're, they're not answering the door. It used to be that you could have, you could have meetings that would fill, uh, fill um, uh, football stadiums. And a guy like Billy Graham could stand up and he could say, the word of God says, and people would respond to it. And that, it just isn't effective anymore. You know what has not lost its effectiveness? 
is when the church comes in with humility and a listening ear and a towel and we bend and we stoop and we serve others and we love them and we earn the right to be heard. Instead of coming in with our megaphones, instead of coming in screaming and shouting with our faces getting all red, telling everybody the whole list of things that we're against. Listen, I'm against a lot of things, but I found that starting with that list doesn't really work too well. But if I come in with love and caring and compassion about what the person's going through and I listen to them, I take the time to really listen. I reflect back what they're saying. I ask questions about what they're going through. At some point, they ask the question, why do you care? Why are you here? Why are you serving? And I get to tell them about Jesus. I get to tell them what what Jesus did for me, how he loved me, how he redeemed my life from the pit, how he's given me a future How he's helped me with my issues of fear and insecurities and selfishness and judging and jealousy. I could keep going, but the longer my list gets, the more you wonder if you should be listening to this pastor this morning. (laughs) And so, so this is why we serve. Because we believe these things that Jude is talking about is true. But but so here's a question I want to ask you: is what action do you need to take? Serving, I hate to break it to you, serving requires action. Serving is not about intentions. We all have good intentions. Serving is about what am I actually doing? How am I actively serving others? And I just want to ask you this question. Is serving a part of your regular routine? Like when you look in your calendar, do you see that there's moments of you serving others when you don't necessarily want to? Here, I was thinking about it this week, and I was just thinking, like, what would it look like? I, I don't, maybe, maybe this is from God, or maybe this is just from me. What would it look like if every follower of Jesus at Journey Church was, was actively serving at least two to three hours a month? Now, here's the question. Just ask yourself that. Do, do I serve other people two to three hours a month? A lot of us think that we are, but when I, if I would ask you, where is that on your calendar, you'd be really hard-pressed. You'd be like, well, I want to. I think it's a good idea. I agree with it. Well, where is it on your calendar? I don't know. Now, I'll spend two to three hours easily watching a good movie. I'll spend two to three hours watching a basketball game. Looks like there's going to be a good one in another day or two. I don't know what you think about. Anybody watching college basketball? Anybody care? Okay, whatever. So, uh, you know, we, we, there's, we'll spend two to three hours easily in just one of our kids' practices or rehearsals. Will we spend two to three hours a month serving others? Now, there's lots of different ways that you can serve others, okay? I want, I want to make sure that I'm clear on that. You don't have to serve within the walls of Journey Church to be serving other people. But if you're, look, some people are just stuck and they're like, I don't know where to start. A great way to start, there's some opportunities out in our lobby this morning. And in fact, in a few minutes when I close, our altar call, instead of asking you to come forward, I'm going to ask you to leave. But before you leave the doors of our church, to spend five minutes just walking around the tables. And maybe you'll see that there's an opportunity right here at Journey Church where you can serve others. So, so here's the deal. God's called us to serve others. He's called us to notice others, right? To notice them, to care about them, to have compassion, 
to love them, to serve them. But here's the thing, Jesus ups the ante right before he ascends to the Father, and he tells us that it's not just the others that we rub shoulders with, that it's not just the others who live across the street. Listen to literally the last words of Jesus recorded by his disciple Matthew. In Matthew 28, it says this, Therefore, go and make disciples, and then there is this prepositional phrase, of all nations. Like right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, listen, this isn't just about the people across the street. This includes the people around the world. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, you know, discipleship, all these things. Uh, if, if you look in, uh, where am I, in, in Mark's gospel, Mark was a scribe for Peter. He was Peter's secretary. He describes Jesus saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Luke records Jesus as saying, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus expects that his followers will share his love and hope to others everywhere. Now you guys are really loving this sermon, aren't you? Like, I don't like this sermon. Where are you going with this? What I'm saying is, like, Jesus' expectation is that we won't just serve the people across the street, we will serve the people around the world. To which, if you're a normal human being, you go, how in the world are we supposed to do that? Like, Jesus, that works for you because you're divine, you're omnipresent, you can be everywhere at one time in his resurrected, ascended body through the ministry of his Holy Spirit, but we can't, we're limited. How can we do both? We're gonna have to choose, right? As a church, we're gonna have to choose, do we serve people across the street or do we choose people around the world? And what I would submit to you is, no, we don't have to make a choice, we can do both. It can be a both and. We can, in our active presence, serve the people across the street physically and we can partner with those who are around the world serving and ministering the gospel to people around the world. And so, so you, talk, you hear us talking about missions quite, quite often. Uh, I wanted to show to you a video. You got that, Riley, ready to go in just a moment? This is one of our partner missionaries. We have 34 partner missionaries, and this is one of our partner missionaries. His name is Jason. He's in a very sensitive political country in eastern Africa, and this is just a minute and 45 seconds of Jason uh, sharing with you. Hey there, Journey. My name is Jason Kohler. I serve in East Africa, in particular what we call the Horn of Africa, which juts out into the Indian Ocean. And I serve with a people that is almost 100% Islamic, completely unreached. Uh, there's very little, if no, Christian population amongst the local people. And yet we believe, and we are here because we believe there's power in the Word of God. The, the Word of God is like a seed. And as it falls onto the ground, if it can just get into the soil, it can produce uh, fruit. It can produce a harvest. And so we're here in what is hard and difficult ground, and yet we're believing that the gospel will penetrate and will bear fruit here. And so what do we do? We operate a uh, English center. I'm an English teacher. We form relationships as we form friendships, uh, love our students love our neighbors, uh, we share Jesus and believe that there's power in that word, there's power in the gospel. And let me encourage you today, even tomorrow, uh, I'll be sitting down with a young man. We've been talking to him, sharing Christ with him. Even last time, uh, he was asking, how can I be baptized? And 
And so we're talking that you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Believe that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. That he'll forgive your sins and make him Lord of your life. And so we're going to have a more significant conversation tomorrow about baptism, what it means to follow Jesus. So there is power in that seed. There is power in the gospel. And even in the Horn of Africa, even in these resistant places, the kingdom of God is advancing. And it's advancing through people like you who are faithful in your giving, faithful in your prayers. We cannot do this without you. So thank you for being a partner in this. I am so grateful for you. God bless you. So two, this was recorded about a month ago, and I got an email from Jason that two Fridays ago, he baptized Ethan in the Indian Ocean. And uh, yeah, it's spectacular, right? Like, and listen, church, we are part of that. Like, that's, that's our way of, 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 of ministering and serving to people around the world. We can't be there. But thank God we have people like Jason Thank God we have people in Chad, Africa. We have people in Russia. We have people in Costa Rica. We have people in the tribes of Alaska, in Azerbaijan. We have people on American college campuses ministering the gospel. And this has been a heartbeat of journey from the very beginning, from the point where it was just a few of us gathering together in the living room of our house. We were committed to missions. I had our bookkeeper look up the number, and over the last 15 years, this is amazing, we have given, Journey Church has given $784,892.96 to serving communities across the street and around the world. That much, that's incredible. Yeah, we could praise God for that. I mean, that's only through, through his, his empowerment and abilities. But, th- but think about that. And all of that is money that went outside the doors of the church. That's not the money for the ministries of this church, for youth ministries or kids ministries or life groups or turning on the lights or utilities. All of that is money that went out the doors of this church to assist other missionaries and other organizations. I was talking to one of our partner missionaries just this past Tuesday. We were sitting in my office. He's with Mission of Hope in Haiti. In fact, our church's first missions trip back in 2011 was to work with Mission of Hope in Haiti. And, and so we've been partnering with them for over 10 years. And so I was just asking him, like, so what's going on in Haiti? That's the last time I've been to Haiti was on that trip. And uh, we, when we went, our group, we went and ministered in a community called Levesque. And uh, we were, at that point, they had several maybe about 20 40 houses that we had put up and these were like concrete houses so they could withstand the winds and 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 earthquakes and all the stuff that that goes on in Haiti and so I was asking about Levesque because the government had given them just this whole big piece of land to build houses on I said so how many houses did you guys end up building in Levesque and he said uh we're at about 1,615 houses in Levesque alone just at Mission of Hope has been responsible for for building now they have two other communities that they've been doing the same thing in as well. I was asking him about their meals ministry. He says that they're currently distributing 124,000 meals a day in Haiti. That's just Mission of Hope. And we're a part of that, church. Like, we, we get to be a part of that. And as I, as I th- thought about this, and even as our board was meeting a couple months ago, and we were praying about what we should do and what the next 10 years looks like, we were talking about what, what does missions look like in the next 10 years for Journey Church. And as we prayed about it, we all agreed that we should easily be able to give $1 million to missions in the next 10 years. Now, that's not just money. That's support. That someday we're going to, someday, because eventually either Jesus is going to come back or we're all going to die. That's another great encouraging point. You can write that in your notes. 
The mortality rate still hovers right around 100%. I mean, it's just true, right? One day, because we've asked Jesus to come into our lives and we're living for him and, and, and we're living spirit-empowered lives and serving others, one day we're gonna stand before him and, and, and not only are we gonna stand before him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, we're gonna get to rub shoulders with other believers and we're gonna hear about how our giving and our prayers and our partnerships made a difference. And listen, we won't know until the other side of heaven the difference that we've made. It's not, a, it's not just about dollar bills. It's not just about giving more and an offering. It's about effect. It's about serving communities, truly serving communities around the world. And so the question I want to ask with this, and i got to wrap things up pretty soon, does your faith in Christ show in your finances? How are you financially supporting Christ's commission? I want, I want to ask everyone who calls yourself a part of Journey Church to make giving a priority, specifically, especially, if nothing else, to make giving to missions a priority. How do you do that? Give a percent, and then give consistently. One, one of the easy ways that we have at our disposal today is being able to give online and to make a recurring giving choice online where you can kind of set it and, and it, it'll happen. The first check that Carrie and I write whenever, whenever I'm paid for my job and she's paid from her job is giving, the, first of all, the first 10%, the tithe. Then on top of that, we give to missions and not just to Journeys missions, but to other missions organizations. Listen, I don't just preach this, I live this. We've been privileged, and I'm not, I'm not bragging, this is just the faithfulness of God over the last couple of years, that 20% of our income has gone out from our family to either Journey Church or missions or to other organizations. Why? Because, listen, we have this one life, and it's a vapor, it's spitting in the wind. We're here today, and we're gone tomorrow, and I want to sow seed that's going to be eternal. So I'm not asking you to do that, and that's taken us years to get to. We've been married 22 years, and we made a strategic choice at the very beginning that we were going to slowly increase the percent that we give, and honestly, we did it in a way that we hardly feel it because we've just done it over the years. But can I just challenge you? Are you giving any percent? Is it consistent? Is it sacrificial, not just giving out of what you have left over, but giving from the very beginning and trusting that God is going to be faithful now there's one more thing, back to Jude. Has there been something today that's made you feel a little ouchy? You know, something you go, oh, I didn't like that. I hope so. I hope there's been something that made you uncomfortable. Let, let me make you comfortable with this. There's one more thing, back to Jude. Let me, let me read verse 23 again. He says, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others. And then here's this phrase that I mentioned earlier. But do so with great caution hating the sins that contaminate their lives. We, we see a caution here. When you go from talking about the mission of Christ to actually being involved in the mission of Christ, there's a target on your back. I wish I could say that this isn't true, but every time that we kind of ratchet up our level of, of sacrifice, our level of serving, I, can, I feel this even in our own family, even just recently in our family, just an attack that comes against you, there, there is a target on your back when you decide to go all in with Christ. When you decide that you're gonna do whatever the Spirit tells you to do courageously and obey Him. Let me tell you, darkness wants to pull you down. And you need the Spirit's empowerment. 
Maybe that's why immediately before Jude gives us this instruction, there are these two verses. So I read to you uh, verses 22 and 23. Let me now read to you verses 20 and 21. Are you all with me? This is what Jude says. He says, but you, dear friends, must, I love that, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Listen, we can't, we can't rescue others if we're not building each other up. He doesn't just say, go and build yourself up all by yourself. We must build each other up. It's a one another. This is why community is so important. This is why being at church is so important. Being in a life group is so important. Serving not alone, but serving with others is so important. We must build each other up in your most holy faith. And then he says this, and this seems kind of odd. He says, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. That is so powerful. And then he says, all right, and since he's keeping you safe in his love, now let's go out and live dangerous lives. So what does that peace mean? We talk about building each other up, we need each other, but he says pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of translations simply translate this, pray in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It means allowing the Holy Spirit to animate your prayers. Specifically asking the Spirit to help you pray. Listen, if you're a believer, we said this earlier, the Holy Spirit already resides in you. He lives in you. So before you pray, just say, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are in me and with me. Would you show me how to pray? Would you show me what I I should pray about today? Be open to to how he longs for you to pray. Be open, this, this can sometimes feel weird, but be open to praying in tongues. When I pray in tongues, I'm praying to God directly without any soul interference. Some of you are now are super weirded out. If you want to know more about that, we don't have time to get into it, but you can go to explorejourney.org slash Holy Spirit, and we did a whole sermon just on speaking in tongues. I whether you speak in tongues, when you, whether you don't speak in tongues, listen, I, I just want you to have Holy Spirit-empowered prayer times. Let's build each other up. Let's encourage one another. Let's, have, let's not just pray these now I lay me down to sleep, Lord bless this food to my body. If that's the only prayers that you're praying during the day, it's not enough. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask him to lead you. We cannot change lives. We cannot empower people. We cannot serve communities in our own might and in our own power. We must have the Spirit of God leading our efforts. We've got to have his anointing. We've got to have his power. And that goes for you too, not just for me. It goes for all of us as a church. We serve, we give, and we trust as we step out and obey what Jesus has told us to do, that the presence of the Holy Spirit has already gone ahead of us and that he will change lives and he will empower people and through our acts of service, he will lift up and exalt the name of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? With your eyes closed, I just want to ask you this question. Like, how, how, how is it going following Jesus right now? Like, do you find that it's just like an obligation? <laughs> I, I have to. Is following Jesus like a family tradition? Your grandma followed Jesus and 
your daddy followed Jesus and so you're, it's just part of the family business. Feel like you're just going through the motions. Feel like you're just checking off boxes. I'm telling you, there's more. There's more. Sometimes along the way we lose the plot. But following Jesus is about serving. And in serving, following Jesus becomes exhilarating and exciting again. Listening to the voice of the Spirit, being built up in our most holy faith. And so I'm going to encourage you as, as we leave in just a few moments, move around the lobby and just ask the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask right now, but I'm going to encourage you, just say, Holy Spirit, is there, is, there, is there a way you want me to get in the game right here at these tables? Is there something outside of these tables, outside of this church that you're asking me to do? Holy Spirit, speak to me. If you, I, I promise you, if you'll begin asking him, he will show you. And just try some things out. Just test drive a few things. You don't have to commit to it for the rest of your life. And in the process, experience the Holy Spirit leading you in a way that maybe you never have before. So Father, I just speak blessing over every person in this room. You love every person here. This sermon isn't about judgment. It's not about, it's about your love for us. You care about us. And you want us to be a part of your mission because you know that's when life becomes fulfilling and fruitful. That you know that's when we really, truly begin to flourish. It's when we're doing what you've called us to do. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would encourage every person in this room. Maybe there's some that can't serve right now. They're in a season of life where, where their ministry is to their parents who are aging, or maybe their ministry is, is in a different way. And God, I thank you for that. And there's no condemnation in that. But Father, for those of us who can't, God, I pray that you would put it inside of us to serve you, to live lives of sacrifice, to live lives of compassion. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you stand to your feet? To wrap this up, let me just bless you in this way. This week, may you invite the Holy Spirit to change you. May you pour out the cup, whatever God has given to you. May, you. may you be willing to pour that into the lives of other people. May you invite the Holy Spirit to empower you, to give you boldness to be a witness. And this week, may you have eyes to see the serving opportunities around you. And may you step out and serve. God bless you. Take a few minutes just to look at the tables in the lobby, and then hopefully we'll see you next week, Palm Sunday, next Sunday. Hopefully, hope we'll see you.